Chapter 12, Part 3 of The Life of Clara Barton, Volume 1, by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12, Part 3 Home and Country. John A. Andrew was one of the great war governors. Massachusetts is one of the states that can always be proud of the record of its chief executive during the dark days of the Civil War. He responded promptly to Clara Barton's appeal. On the day of her father's funeral, she received the following letter from Governor Andrew. Commonwealth of Massachusetts Executive Department, Boston, March 24th, 1862. Miss Clara H. Barton, North Oxford, Mass. I beg to assure you, Miss Barton, of my cordial sympathy with your most worthy sentiments and wishes, and that if I have any power to promote your design in aid of our soldiers, I will surely use it. Whenever you may be ready to visit General Burnside's division, I will cheerfully give you a letter of introduction with my hearty approval of your visit and my testimony to the value of the service to our sick and wounded it will be in your power to render. With high respect, I am your ob-servant, John A. Andrew. This letter seemed a practical assurance that Clara Barton was to be permitted to go to the front. She had the governor's virtual promise, conditioned, of course, upon recommendations from proper authorities, and she thought she had sufficient influence with the surgeon, Dr. Hitchcock, to secure the required recommendation. Through an official friend, she took up the matter with Dr. Hitchcock, but in a few days his letter to the doctor came back to Clara by way of the governor. Dr. Hitchcock did not believe that the battlefield was a suitable place for women. Among Clara Barton's papers, the letter to Dr. Hitchcock is found bearing his comment and the governor's brief reference with which the letter was forwarded to Clara Barton. This closed, for the time being, her prospect of getting to the front. Boston, March twenty second, 1862. Dr. Hitchcock, Dear Sir. A friend of mine, Miss Clara H. Barton, is very desirous of doing what she can to aid our sick and wounded men at Roanoke or Newburn, and I today presented a letter from her to Governor Andrew asking that she might be sent there by the state. Governor Andrew said he would confer with you relative to the matter. I presume Miss Barton will write to you. She has been a resident of Washington, and the petitions you brought for me to present to the governor were for her appointment as an agent at Washington. She now desires to go to the Burnside expedition. 
I need not say that you would render efficient service to our sick and wounded and would not be an encumbrance to the service. Truly yours, J. W. Fletcher. The letter bears, written on its back, these endorsements by Dr. Alfred Hitchcock and Governor Andrew. I do not think at the present time Miss Barton had better undertake to go to Burnside's division to act as a nurse. Alfred Hitchcock, March 25, 1862. Respectfully referred for the information of Miss Barton. J. A. Andrew, March 25, 62. Old Captain Stephen Barton died at last, aged almost 88. The entries in Clara Barton's diary on these days are brief and interesting. Thursday, March 20, 1862. Wrote Governor Andrew, and watched by poor, suffering Grandpa, sent a letter to Irving by the morning mail. Friday, March 21st, 1862. At 10.16 at night, my poor father breathed his last. By him were Mrs. Grover, Hollandrake, Mrs. Vile, David, Julia, and I. Saturday, March 22, 1862. David and Julia went to Worcester. Mrs. Rich here. Sent letters to Irving, Judge, Mary, Dr. Darling. Sunday, March 23, 1862. Call from Deacon Smith. Monday, March 24, 1862. Mrs. Rich went to Worcester for me left a note for Arbor Pierce to make a wreath for poor Grandpa's coffin. Tuesday, March 25th, 1862. At 2 p.m. commenced the services of the burial, Reverend Mr. Holmes of Charlton officiating. House and grounds crowded. Ceremony solemn and impressive. That evening, Cousin Jerry Stone came and brought me a letter from Governor J.A. Andrew. This was all she found time to write in the diary. Of the letters she wrote to her cousin, Corporal Leander A. Poor, relating to her father's death, one has been recovered. North Oxford, March 27, 1862. Thursday Afternoon my dear cousin Leander, your welcome second letter came to me this noon, doubtless before this you have learned the answer to your kind inquiry, how is grandsire? But if not, and the sentinel post is mine, I must answer, all is well. Down under the little pines, beside my mother, he rests quietly, sleeps peacefully, dreams happily. The old soldier's heavy march is ended, for him the last tattoo has sounded, and resting upon the unfailing arms of truth, hope, and faith, 
He awaits the reveille of the eternal morning. Grandsire had been steadily failing since I came home. For more than thirty days he did not taste a morsel of food, and could retain nothing stronger or more nourishing than a little milk and water. For over ten of the last days, not that, simply a little cold water which he dared not swallow. And still he lived and moved himself, and talked strongly and sensibly and wisely as you had always heard him. Whoever heard of such constitutional strength? You will be gratified to know that he arranged all his business to his entire satisfaction some days previous to his death. After being raised up and writing his name, he said to me, this is the last day I shall ever do any business. My work in this world is done. He remained until Friday, the 21st of March, 16 minutes past 10 o'clock at night. He spoke for the last time about 5 o'clock, but made us understand by signs until the very last, when he straightened himself in bed, closed his mouth firmly, gave one hand to Julia and the other to me, and left us. Clara Barton's hopes of going to the front received a severe disappointment when Governor Andrew returned Dr. Hitchcock's communication with the refusal to endorse her application. But she was nothing if not persistent, Almost immediately after her receipt of the governor's letter, she began again seeking to bring influence to bear on a Massachusetts captain, Denny, whose wife she had come to know. In this, she gives more detail of the so-called leak in stores, which had been sent more or less recklessly for the benefit of troops, and without the prepaying of express charges. An organization of Confederate sympathizers had been formed to purchase these goods from the express company and slip them through the lines. In some way she had found this out, and so, as to be morally certain of it before the exposure and arrest of the conspirators, she had relied upon advance information that she possessed of this system to commend her to Governor Andrew, and he was, evidently, favorably impressed. But she encountered the red tape of the surgeons who were not willing that she should go to the battlefield. No immediate results came from her continued efforts to secure permission to go to the front. She still remained in New England through the month of May, but in June returned to Washington and remained there until the 18th of July. She had already been receiving supplies from her friends in New Jersey as well as from Massachusetts. She now went to Bordentown and from there to New York, Boston, Worcester, and Oxford. This journey was made for the purpose of ensuring a larger and continuous supply of provisions, for she had now obtained what she long had coveted, 
her permission to go to the front. Authority, when it finally came, was directed from the Surgeon General's office, and it gave her as large liberty as she could well have asked. The following passes and authorizations were all issued within twenty-four hours. Just how she obtained them, we do not know. In some way, her persistence triumphed over all official red tape, and when she secured her passes, they were practically unlimited either as to time or destination. The following are from the official records. Surgeon General's Office, July 11, 1862. Miss C. H. Barton has permission to go upon the sick transports in any direction for the purpose of distributing comforts for the sick and wounded and nursing them, always subject to the direction of the surgeon in charge. William A. Hammond, Surgeon General, USA. Surgeon General's Office, Washington City, July 11, 1862. Sir, at the request of the Surgeon General, I have to request that you give every facility to Miss Barton for the transportation of supplies for the comfort of the sick. I refer you to the accompanying letter. Very respectfully, R. C. Wood, A. S. General. Major D. H. Rucker, A.Q.M., Washington, D.C., Office of Depot Quartermaster. Washington, July 11, 1862. Respectfully referred to General Wadsworth with the request that permission be given this lady and friend to pass to and from Aquia Creek on government transports at all times when she may wish to visit the sick and hospitals, etc., with such stores as she may wish to take for the comfort of the sick and wounded. D. H. Rucker, Quartermaster and Colonel. Headquarters, Military Division of V.A. Washington, D.C., July 11, 1862. The within-mentioned lady, Miss Barton, and friend have permission to pass to and from Fredericksburg by government boat and railroad at all times to visit sick and wounded and to take with her all such stores as she may wish to take for the sick and to pass anywhere within the lines of the United States forces excepting to the Army of the Potomac and to travel on any military railroad or government boat to such points as she may desire to visit and take such stores as she may wish by such means of transportation by order of the brigadier general wadsworth military government d c t e ellsworth captain and a d c inspector general's office Army of Virginia, Washington, D.C., August 12, 1862. To whom it may concern. Know ye that the bearers, Miss Barton and two friends, 
have permission to pass within the lines of this army for the purpose of supplying the sick and wounded. Transportation will be furnished by government boat and rail. By command of Major General Pope R. Jones, Assistant Inspector General. It is said that when Clara Barton finally succeeded in getting permission to go to the front, she broke down and burst into tears. That is possible, but her diary shows no sign of her emotion. Nor is it true, as has been affirmed, that as soon as she received her passes, she rushed immediately to the front. Her self-possession and deliberate action at this moment of triumph are thoroughly characteristic of her. Instead of going to the front, she went to New Jersey and New England, as has already been intimated. She had no intention of going to the front until she had assurance of supplies which she could take with her and could continue to receive. She was no lovelorn, sentimental maiden, going with unreckoning and hysterical ardor into conditions which she did not understand. She was forty years old, and she knew what hospitals were. She also knew a good deal about official red tape and the reasonable unwillingness of surgeons to have any one around the hospital unless she could earn her keep. With a pocket full of passes, which she now possessed, she could go almost anywhere. To be sure, it was necessary to get special passes for particular objects, but in general all she had to do was to present these blanket credentials, and particular permission for a specific journey was promptly forthcoming. Indeed, she seldom needed that, when her lines of operation were definitely established. But at the beginning, she took no chances. Among the other friends, whom she gained while she was procuring these certificates, was Assistant Quartermaster General D. H. Rucker. He proved an unfailing friend. Never thereafter did she go to him in vain with any request for transportation for herself or her goods. Her first notable expedition in supplies started from Washington on Sunday, August 3, 1862, just as the people were going to church. Frequent mention has been made of the fact that this occurred on Sunday, and some incorrect inferences have been drawn from it. Clara Barton had too large a conception of the sacredness of her task to have waited until Monday for a thing that needed to be done on Sunday. On the other hand, she had too much religion of her own, and too much regard for other people's religion, to have chosen deliberately the day and hour when people were going to church as that on which she would mount a loaded truck and conspicuously take her journey to the boat. She began her arrangements to go to Fredericksburg on Wednesday, July 30th, as her diary shows. 
but it was Friday afternoon before her arrangements were complete, including the special passes which she had to procure from General Polk's headquarters. Saturday she started, but the boat was withdrawn, and it was due to this delay that she rode on top of her load on Sunday morning. She was taking no chances concerning her load of provisions. She knew that her welcome at the front and her efficiency there depended upon her getting her supplies there as well as herself. So she climbed over the wheel and sat beside the mule driver as he carted her provisions to the dock. The boat conveyed her to Aquia Creek, where she stayed all night, being courteously treated by the quartermaster. On Monday, she went on to Fredericksburg, where she visited the General Hospital, located in a woolen factory. There she witnessed her first amputation. The next day she visited the camp of the 21st Massachusetts. She distributed her supplies and found where more were needed. Returning, she reached Washington at six o'clock Tuesday night. The next few days she had conferences with the Sanitary Commission and suggested some improvement in the methods of supplying the hospitals. She found the Sanitary Commission quite ready to cooperate with her and obtained from them without difficulty some stores for the 8th and 11th Connecticut regiments. She took time to write the story of her visit to Fredericksburg and to secure its full value in additional supplies. This was the way she spent her time for a full month after she secured her passes. She visited the friends who were to supply her with the articles she was to need. She visited the front and personally oversaw the method of distributing supplies. She placed herself in sympathetic relationship with the Sanitary Commission, whose work was next of kin to her own, and she wrote letters that were to bring her a still larger volume of resources for her great work a more businesslike, methodical, or sensible method of procedure could not be imagined than that which her diary and letters disclose. How she felt about going to the front at this time is finally set forth in a letter to her cousin, Corporal Leander A. Poor, who was sick in a hospital at Point Lookout, Maryland and whom she succeeded in getting transferred to a hospital in Washington. She did not expect to be there when he arrived, for she was committed to her plan of getting to the front. Not that she expected to stay continuously. It was her purpose to come and go, to get relief directly where it was needed, and to keep her lines of communication open. This letter shows that she labored under no delusion concerning the difficulties of transportation. She was going in with her eyes open. Washington, D.C., August 2, 1862, Saturday, P.M. Oh, my dearest cuz, can you believe it? 
that this afternoon mail takes an order from the Surgeon General for you to report in Washington, provided the state of your health will permit. I have just seen the order written. You are to report to Dr. Campbell, medical director, and he is to assign you to some hospital. Now I want you assigned near me, but I'm not certain that I can influence it in the least, but I'll try. I can tell you the ropes, and you can help pull them when you go to report. At the medical director's, I have an especial friend in the person of Dr. Sheldon, one of the charges d'affaires of the institution. I will acquaint him with the facts before your arrival, either by a personal interview or a note, and then, when you go to report to Dr. Campbell, see first, if possible, Dr. Sheldon, and ask him if he can assist you in getting assigned to some hospital near me, 7th Street, or in the vicinity of the post office. He knows my residence, having called upon me. My choice would be the Armory Square, a new hospital on 7th Street, a few rods the other side of the avenue from me, on the way to the arsenal, you will recollect, just opposite the Smithsonian Institute, on the east side of 7th. This is designed as a model hospital, but perhaps one difficulty will be that it is intended more exclusively for extreme cases, or desperately wounded who can be conveyed but little distance from the boat. There are in it now, however, some very slight cases, some whom I visit every day. The chaplain, E. W. Jackson, is from Maine, near Portland and I would not be surprised if more Maine men were in charge there, too. After this, I have not much choice in any of the hospitals near me. East Street Church is near, and so many of the churches, and perhaps being less in magnitude, they are less strict. I don't even know if you will be allowed to see me before making your report to the medical director and there is one bare possibility that I may be out on a scout when you arrive. Lord knows the condition of our poor wretched soldiers down in the army. All communication cut off to and from. They must be dying from want of care, and I am promised to go to them the first moment access can be had. But this would not discourage you, for I should come home again when the poor fellows were a little comfortable. I am not certain when you can come, probably not until some government boat comes up. One went down yesterday, and if I had had your order then, I should have come for you. But to start in one now after this, I might miss you, as they only go some once a week or so. All sorts of rumors in town, that we are whipping the rebels, they are whipping us, Jackson defeated, Pope defeated. But one thing I do suppose to be true, viz. that our army is isolated, cut off from supplies of food, and that we cannot reach them with more until they fight their way out. 
This is not generally believed or understood, but your cousin both understands and believes it. People talk like children about transporting supplies as if it were the easiest thing imaginable to transport supplies by wagon 30 miles across a country scouted by guerrilla bands. Our men must be on part rations, tired and hungry, fighting like tigers and dying like dogs. There, doesn't that sound impatient? I won't speak again. Of course you will write me instantly, and tell me if you are able to come, and when as nearly as possible, etc., etc. I will enclose five dollars, lest ye may need and not have. Your affectionate cousin, Clara H. Barton, Washington, D.C. Thus did Clara Barton, at her father's deathbed, consecrate herself to a work more difficult than any woman had at that time undertaken for the relief of suffering caused by the war. Other women were equally brave, others equally tender in their personal ministrations, but Clara Barton knew the difficulties of transportation and the awful agonies and loss of life endured by men through neglect and delay, and the distance of the hospital from the battlefield. She was ready to carry relief right behind the battle lines. She had not long to wait for her opportunity. End of chapter 12, part 3